So something you might not know about me, so I don't share very often, is I do not do well when I am being tested on the spot, especially by people that I really look up to. And this is something that, of course, I had to deal with auditioning to teach at yoga studios in the past. And if you are in that position of having to audition to teach, if you want to work at a yoga studio or work with a certain brand or studio, this is something that will come up. And of course, every time you're teaching, you're essentially being evaluated by your students. Are they going to come back? Do they like what you're doing? So there is this level of having to be on the spot every time we're teaching. But for me especially, I had a really hard time doing that when I was early in my teaching and in front of my teachers, the people who I looked up to and I learned everything from, having to be on the spot and teach a class in front of them, I froze up and I actually had this experience where I went, I had an audition scheduled and I was really looking forward to it, really excited. I wanted this position a lot. So I overthought it and I overanalyzed it. And rather than trust myself and just do what I had been doing, I'd been teaching classes for free or donation or different things and doing really well and feeling good about it. And the students loved it. So I was like, I'm ready to, to audition. So I went and signed up for the audition. But then once it was actually looming and it was going to happen, all my doubts and insecurities came up. And now I was like, I don't even know how to teach. Who am I? What am I doing? I'm an imposter. I'm not ready. They're all going to see through me. I don't know what I'm doing. All these doubts and fears came up. And that's normal. That's what happens for all of us at different points in different ways. So rather than just trust myself, I looked up sequences online. And this was like in the mid, early 2010s. So uh, there was not a lot of good resources. I found some sequence from a Rodney Yee book from way back in the day. And I just printed that out and I brought that to the class. And instead of just teaching the class and doing what I'd been doing, which was working well, and I, I knew how to teach, I was confident and everything was going well. I was just looking at this script and then reading from the script and then then looking at the students, then looking at the script. It was really awkward and awful. And thankfully, my teachers were so kind and forgiving. They understood I was just nervous and that was not how I normally teach. So I was forgiven and I eventually did get the job, but I did not enjoy that whole experience. And if you are a teacher or going to be auditioning or if you are going to be in a position of having to teach and want to memorize a sequence and flow of a class that you're going to be teaching, this podcast is for you. So one of the questions that I hear from new teachers is, how do I memorize sequences? How do I get this into my mind so I go out and teach and I just know what I'm doing and it just comes out effortlessly? Today, I'm going to share the five things that I find work best, especially from that time when I was a new teacher and not so confident in myself. What did I figure out? What, learned, what did I learn? What worked really well? I'm going to share that in today's episode. And then, of course, what I've learned from many years since then of teaching thousands of classes and kind of refining this process. So what can you apply? If you're a newer teacher, how can you apply this? This is the Yoga Teacher Training Podcast. My name is Jeremy Devins. Of course, I am the host of the Quiet Mind Yoga Podcast, the Quiet Mind Astrology Podcast, and this one, as well as the Quiet Mind Yoga Teacher Training. So if you have already done a teacher training and you want to deepen your knowledge of anatomy, alignment, all of the reasons that we do the postures, the pairs of movements of the body, most yoga teacher trainings don't cover that stuff. 
in depth. And that's one of the biggest things I hear from people in my training is I wish I learned this anatomy before or these sequencing things, because I think I've found ways to break it down that works really, really well. And that just comes from thousands of hours of teaching and practicing and refining things and figuring out what doesn't work and what does work for all levels of students. Because I want you as a teacher to be able to teach any student that comes to you, beginner, experienced, advanced, young, old, injured, perfect and able-bodied health, whatever the situation, you have something you can offer them. So that's what the yoga teacher training is all about. And if you already are a teacher, you get a significant discount on the price. If you're not a certified teacher, it's still super affordable and you get a ton of value for the program. And I'm there with you every week. It's over 15 weeks, but we have 12 weeks where we meet. So we have some breaks in there and we go over everything that goes into teaching great classes from the anatomy, the mindfulness, 10 core competencies of yoga that I teach. We've talked about that in previous episodes. So we cover all of those in that process. It's 200 hours all online. And I think online is a better way to learn. I actually made mine online before the pandemic, before I knew anything about any of the lockdowns. I wanted all my teacher training to be online because I think it's a better way to learn. And we can work together all over the world, which is really nice as well. So quietmind.yoga is where you can learn about that. Click on the link to the yoga teacher training or go to quietmind.yoga slash YTT. And you can check out an info session if you want to learn more. You can reach out, email me if you want to learn more. And we'll have our next class starting very soon. So check it out right there at quietmind.yoga. So the five things that I find work best for memorizing a sequence. I'm just going to say what they are right off the top here. The five things, and then we'll go into more depth of what they are. Number one, don't use notes. That's right. Don't use notes. I'll explain what all these mean as we go. Number two, have a strong personal yoga practice. Number three, learn what I call, and many teachers call, the sequencing bell curve. I've talked about this on the last episode. And number four, learn about many sequences. This is really important. Number five, practice teaching. All right, so we'll go into what each of these mean in more depth. Number one, don't use notes. As I explained in my own story, I had those notes and what happens for me and what I've seen a lot of teachers have happen is when you have notes, now you're essentially teaching to two people, your prana, your energy, your life force and attention is no longer just on the students where we want it to be, but now it's on the students and then it switches over to the notes and then it switches back to the students. And in that brief span, even what I just said there about five seconds, your students are left waiting for you and wondering, what are you going to say next? What are you doing? You could say, inhale, raise your arms overhead. Then you go and look at your notes. Now they've inhaled and they're waiting for your cue to do the next thing, but you're still there looking at your notes distracted. And your prana is now divided. So you want to keep it all focused on the students when we're teaching. We're in the role of a teacher. We're holding space basically as a teacher, nothing happens until you say what to do. It's kind of like Simon says, the student is just waiting for you to give the cue. So if you are distracted by notes, you are not going to be able to be present with their responses, their movements, their actions. On Zoom, in person, any circumstance, the student is waiting for your cue. And sometimes, of course, you give cues 
which involve them just holding a pose. And you don't need to be giving cues every single second, but especially in those transitions when things are moving, you want to be sharp and on top of it and all your attention on the student, not on your notes. So that's just one of the many reasons not to use notes. Also, of course, it just takes you out of the present moment. And we want to be present in the moment with our students in the experience. Instead of drawing from, okay, I've got to gather the information over here on the paper and then output it to the class, we want to have all that information gathered and already in our brains, ready to be accessed and in our bodies, in our muscles, ready to be accessed rather than having it written on paper, waiting to be accessed there in that moment, right? So we get it into our bodies and our brains readily available. And how do we do that? Number two, the second thing I find that works really good for memorizing sequences is having a personal yoga practice. So when you have your own personal practice that you've done consistently, as you've probably experienced, at this point, you've been practicing enough, you know what it feels like to be in down dog. You know where your hands are meant to be in alignment, to have the most optimal alignment so there's not extra stress on your shoulders or your back. You know you can bend your knees if you need to. You know that you want your shoulders to be unshrugged, so not shrugging up towards your ears, not elevating but slightly depressed away from the ears or more neutral, right? So you know to look for these things and feel for these things in your body. And you know, oftentimes the sun salutation sequence of, you know, inhale, arms overhead, exhale, forward fold, inhale, half lift, exhale, back to plank. That whole sequence is something you've done so many times you don't have to think about it. You don't have to look at notes to remember, okay, inhale, then we do what? Right? You just know, and that's embodied. And that comes only from personal practice. There's no other way around it. Just like a musician, I used to play guitar, you know, so I want to have the whole song in my hands, in my muscle memory before I'm going to perform it on a stage. I don't want to get on the stage and wonder, okay, I don't know what I'm going to play next. I'm going to have to look at my notes, then play it, and then pause, then look at the notes, then play it, right? Even uh, people in uh, orchestra, in the, in the symphony, those incredibly trained, brilliant musicians who spent their whole life dedicated to their craft, they will have notes because their stuff that they're playing is so complex. But you can bet if you took away those notes, they'll be able to play 99% of it just fine. They just have the notes there for extra reference. So that's about as far as you could go. And I'm still, don't use that as an excuse to have notes as a yoga teacher. You could have them. If your brain works well this way, you could do it. So I can give you that little bit of an out. You could have notes to the side and you could just barely glance at them. But ideally, if you're going to do that, they're extremely simple and easy for you to look at them and not have to like switch off your present noticing your students, being present with your students' brain, and switch into this thinking, analyzing brain. But still, I'd rather be the musician who's got it memorized and doesn't need the notes at all and can just play the song, can just teach the yoga class, and you just got it memorized, and that just comes from practice. So if you're a newer student, that practice, even though you're ready to audition, you haven't had as much practice, right? That's still just going to take time so in this case, what you could do if you know you've got a specific uh, audition coming up is just practice what you're going to teach 
over and over again. As a student, as a teacher, just practice that one thing over and over again. But outside of that, just having any regular consistent yoga practice is so essential to being able to memorize sequences. Because when you're doing that, every time you practice, you're memorizing new things. Like, okay, this is what Warrior Two feels like. These are the alignment cues. If I move this way, it feels that way. If I step here, it feels that way. And then you memorize, okay, oftentimes we go from warrior two to reverse warrior to vinyasa. That feels fluid and natural. It doesn't feel fluid and natural if we do this combination of poses. And that all comes from attending classes and doing your own home practice. And you can do your home practice where you have a journal, you take notes, you try things, you explore. That's when you're in that whole exploration, learning, building the mind-muscle connection. But when you actually go to teach, that's all done. You don't have to use the paper at all because it's in your body and in your brain. The second thing that happens when you have a yoga practice at home is that you learn those poses inside and out. So you really get what the pose is, why we have it here in a sequence, how it makes sense, why it wouldn't make sense to have it somewhere in a sequence, and what doesn't feel good when a teacher does this thing. And then the third thing is really that yoga is caught, not taught. So what people are picking up on is your energy, your vibe, your transmission of yoga. Yoga is caught, not taught. So like one of my friends, like she just read every meditation book she could for years, but never meditated, right? That's just like, you can't get meditation from just reading about it. You've got to sit on the cushion and practice. And same with yoga. You can't get yoga just from reading about it. You can't get it just from having a sequence that you found online and teaching that. The transmission is weak, right? You need to have that embodied in yourself and then transmit your experience and how it feels to do yoga, how it feels to be in your body. You transmit that in your teaching. So that's the second thing that I found works really well for memorizing sequences, having a personal yoga practice with those three extra tips within there. that You'll build your mind-muscle memory so you know when you're in a pose, you can feel your biceps contracting or lengthening, your hamstrings contracting or lengthening. Number two, you'll learn the poses inside and out and what they feel like, when to do them, when not to do them. Number three, yoga is caught, not taught. So you've got to transmit your practice through your teaching. It's not something you can just learn or memorize or read and share. You've got to transmit it through your body, through your words. Number three, learn the sequencing bell curve. So already before anything that I teach, I've already basically got the whole outline of the class in my head just because of the bell curve. So when you've got that in your head, you're already, you're just filling in that bell. So it's really simple. You start slow, build up, and then wind down and end very slow. So that already eliminates a lot of the worry, confusion, when to do what, how to do what. You're going to start simple, build up to more complex, and then wind down back to more simple. You're going to start slow, increase the pace, and then wind down to slowing down again. Level one, basic beginner poses, maybe some level two, maybe some advanced poses, and back to level one, more beginner-friendly poses. So it's all in that sort of curve, like the bell curve, that you can build your whole sequence around that. It's like the skeleton of the whole thing. And within that, number four, 
is learning mini sequences. Now again, these are things that you can do in your home practice and in practice teaching, but these are things that are like on the back. You can do a series of hip openers and that's one mini sequence. Then you move on to the next mini sequence. And that's the way I think of my whole class and everything I teach. There's just a series of mini sequences and sometimes they overlap a little bit. Sometimes they reference each other. Sometimes they kind of repeat in a class. But to keep it really simple, a good yoga class could just be a series of five mini sequences. So one mini sequence on the back to start. You could do a pose for each major muscle group of the hips. Something to stretch the inner hips, like a supine bound angle pose. Something to stretch the outer hips, like a supine pigeon pose, both legs. Something to stretch the back of the legs, the hamstrings and glutes, like happy baby with the extending leg variation. And then finally, something to stretch the front of the hips, like this thing that I teach where you grab your foot. It doesn't have a name as far as I know. Uh, if you've seen me do it, you know what I'm talking about. If you've done my audio classes, you've heard me describe it. But it's a quad stretch. It's a stretch for the front of the hips on the back, which is really good if people have knee issues. How do I know? Because I've had some issues with knees in the past, and then I've figured out how to work around it. So all these things are just accumulating through my own practice, my own experience, and my own practice teaching, finding out what works for other people. So that's one mini sequence done. Then you can move on to a second one from hands and knees. Now you can do a series of poses for the spine, moving the spine in all of its five directions of movement. Don't know the five directions of the spine? That's a good thing to learn. That's definitely essential to know. Uh, so flexion, extension, rotation, lateral flexion, axial extension. You can do that with simple cat-cow, twist, side bend, and down dog. Boom, right? So that sort of thing you've got in your head. Don't have to do this same sequence every time. I'm not saying this is the best way, the only way. It's a way. So you've got that mini sequence in your head. Then you move on to the next mini sequence, right? You go to standing poses, sun salutations, all the standing poses, warrior two, high lunge, whatever you want to do. You're always going to adjust based on a theme, request. Well, not yet. <laughs> Don't worry about that stuff. Forget that. But eventually you want to be able to adjust all this based on themes and requests and really adapt to your students as you get more of this stuff embodied. All right, and then a fourth mini sequence and a fifth, right? So winding down, fourth one might be inversions, twists, might be uh, some simple standing poses like wide-legged forward fold, winding down. Then the fifth one maybe on the back or sitting uh, more stretching flexibility poses. So that's my general outline, right? giving away all my secrets here. But that's what I teach in the yoga teacher training. I go into a lot more detail of what that means, how to do it. But that's the fourth thing to memorize sequences is rather than having the whole thing memorized and perfected, and I'm going to say this here, and it's going to sound profound, and it's going to be brilliant, and they're going to love me, just memorize mini sequences and be present. And what feels right to say here? What feels right to move here? The body is an adaptable, moving, organic matter. It's got to be really moved in a way that is present and engaged and not just like, okay, well, we should go to warrior one now because that is what I think should be in the sequence. Rather than doing it from your head, you're doing it from your heart, from your instinct, your intuition, and your own personal embodied experience. And finally, number five, the five things that work really well to memorizing sequences is 
practice teaching. Just practice teaching as much as you can. Like when I started, I would teach anywhere and everywhere for free, for anything, for donation, whatever. Any opportunity I could take, any subbing, everywhere, anywhere, I was available. And you'll see these teachers sometimes at studios. They're just all over the schedule because they sub for everybody and they do all the styles. That was me. I've seen other teachers do it. And that's a great way, I think, to build up an incredible amount of skill and experience and to get to know a lot of different bodies and a lot of different requests and a lot of different styles as well. I'm personally uh, more in the Krishnamacharya approach to yoga of wanting to teach what is optimal for this student at this phase of their life right now, rather than everyone should do Ashtanga or everyone should do Hatha. You know, it's, I think everyone is unique and everyone has their own needs. And as yogis and in the practice of yoga, we're creating a union of the body and mind with the true self in the present moment. It has nothing to do with style, has nothing to do with how we get there, but everyone will have a unique path to get there. And the more we practice teaching, we see that. We see that this person might be extremely fit and athletic and they want something more challenging, more vigorous, and that helps them get to that state of yoga where they feel really present, everything feels aligned, centered, that state of samadhi, equilibrium, presence. And then somebody who's maybe a senior citizen who's had multiple surgeries and injuries and limitations, and they can't even sit down without any pain in their knee or their lower back. Why would we ever say that they need to do the same thing as someone else? They're going to need something completely different. And as yogis, as teachers, I think we can develop the skills to be able to serve each of those students equally and have them each arrive at the same end result of samadhi. Because again, in the teachings of yoga, what we're doing has nothing to do with exactly how we get there. Ideally, we can create a sense of stira sukha asana, of steadiness and ease in the present moment in any pose. And some people are going to need more challenging poses because they've got a wider range of capabilities to work with. And some people are going to need simpler poses because they have less to work with. But that does not mean they are lesser people or their practice is any less. But we can adapt our teaching and see like, okay, well, this person is just struggling with this pose. We're trying to teach uh, like bound angle pose and their knees are way up. You know, they're not able to lower their knees. So you could freak out. You could think, well, uh, if you just sort of push your knees apart, they'll open. Right? No, no, no. We don't want to do that. And just because the person next to them can do it doesn't mean this person should be able to do it or has to do it. Uh, they could do all sorts of other things to adapt to that. So we always give options. We give choices like, you know, if you want to do less, you can. Here you could put blocks under your knees for support and listen and adapt to the students. And we can't do that when we're looking at a piece of paper that has one pose and you're supposed to teach that one pose. That comes just from watching people, working with them, practice, practice, practice as much as you can, work with as many different people as you can because they'll break your assumptions over and over again. You think, oh, well, everybody can do this pose. Not true. Or this pose has this effect. Not always the case. And the more you practice, the more wide your sort of vision becomes. And you can see, okay, well, uh, that's not working for this person. This is working for that person. I can say this thing. I can say, you know, you could do this here to do less, or you could do this to do more. Like uh, side plank pose, side plank, right? You could lower your knee, the 
So say you're on your right side, right hand is down, you could lower your right knee to do less, you could lift your left leg to do more. So you can increase or decrease the intensity of every pose. And that kind of stuff comes from just regular practice, knowing your own body, knowing sometimes you want to do less, sometimes you want to do more, and sometimes some students need less or more. So that's another layer of depth. And of course, if a teacher sees that in an audition, it's like that is so much more valuable than you memorizing a sequence or having a perfect sequence planned out or wowing them with like, oh, wow, that transition was amazing. That can happen. Yes, there you can do some really cool stuff with sequencing. But overall, you want to cover the main things. You want to move the body, the joints, the spine, the major muscles, some of the common poses. But ultimately, we're creating the state of yoga, this presence in the body, mind, and breath. And that comes from your transmission of your own experience of yoga, not from just reading a script. So I hope this was helpful in giving you some insight on how to memorize sequences. And really, it's not even coming from memorizing it in your head. It's more so in your body. Of course, there is the brain, the neural pathways we're connecting as well. But it's really in your body. You've turned the lights on in your body. So when you know, when you go and sit down dog, you know what it feels like. You know how to activate certain muscles in the quads. You know how to lengthen muscles in the hamstrings. You know what it feels like and you can transmit that in your cueing, in your teaching, and in your presence. Now, if still you're like, well, I don't know if this is helpful. I'm not ready. Practice, practice, practice. Go to more classes. Do home practice. Practice teaching. Ask your friends if they'll let you practice teaching with them. Find volunteer opportunities. Find ways to sub for teachers that you like. Practice, practice, practice. That's the only way. And this is part of what's awesome about yoga is the only way to really be, I think, significantly uh, effective at it and helpful and efficient as a teacher is practice. So the more you practice, the better you get and the deeper your own practice gets. So it's a win-win-win for you, your students, your own practice, your own connection to your source. And everyone benefits just by you just doing more of your yoga practice as a student and a teacher. And there's really no shortcuts. You can't just look at a sequence online and just teach that. You're not going to have the power of transmission. You're not going to help your students catch it. You can teach it, but they won't catch it, right? So you want to transmit it from your body, from your experience. I'm not saying it has to be 10 years or thousands of hours, but at least enough where it's like you don't have to think about it anymore. And that might be five times of repeating a sequence of practicing it or three times of teaching a sequence uh, to a friend or maybe even just once or twice, depending on your own you know, experience or memories or physical mind-body connection. Maybe you used to do ballet or dance. That all can help contribute to the mind-muscle connection and being able to pick up these things. So I'm not saying it has to be a long process necessarily, uh, but that length and that dedication and that consistency and discipline over a long time is 100% rewarded through this practice of teaching yoga. So I hope you found this helpful. And if you want to learn more, check out the Quiet Mind Yoga Teacher Training at quietmind.yoga/ytt. And send me a message if you have any questions. Jeremy at quietmind.yoga is my email address. And I hope you enjoy this. And if you have any questions or things you want me to cover in future episodes, let me know. And I look forward to sharing more with you next time on the Yoga Teacher Training Podcast.